Good evening. I'm Joseph Martinez, and welcome to Dead Time Stories, a podcast by Graveyard Shift, dedicated to telling just that. Short, scary stories submitted by real people. Whether the stories are real or not, who knows? But they are scary. Tonight, our host Deadhead shares with you eight stories from people who got what they deserved. Now please forgive me. I can take you no further. But your stories lie just ahead. Push your way through the caution tape and mind the blood. Through the door is a laboratory where your host awaits. Do be careful, though. Deadhead can be prickly. I'll wait for you here. Godspeed. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite gripping investigations ad-free? Good news! With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash ad-free true crime. That's amazon.com slash ad-free true crime to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. my little cadavers, and thanks for finding your way back to me. Tonight, I've conjured up eight delicious stories about people who get their just desserts. <laughs> Our first tale follows a CEO who makes a quick buck off a community, then sends it down the tubes. I call this one Rust. This is Brian DeLuca, Aquanetta CEO. I just want to repeat myself, we had the best of intentions. The town of Marietta, Ohio needed our help and we were there for them. The town's antiquated water lines had become so rusted and stacked with so much lead in it, it was not fit for human consumption. The elected officials were blamed for not switching out the older pipes and refusing to allocate money for infrastructure reforms. The response was apt. Hundreds of protesters screaming at politicians outside of City Hall, demanding that they do something and fix the pipes. The news went national thanks to the internet, and the pressure was overwhelming to find a proper solution. That's where we came in. My company, Aquanetica, was working on a water purification technology for third world countries. So imagine our surprise when we received a government contract for a small Midwestern town. Sad, but we came to help. We developed a game-changing chemical agent to purify the water. For legal reasons, as you can understand why I can't go into the details. But it was handled across multiple teams to keep the formula a secret. And you know, this is standard trademark procedure. But the solution was a simple one. The chemical cleans the water and the pipes, removing any traces of lead or any other harmful elements. Completely safe for human use. We introduced it into the water supply by adding it into the central waterworks and let the solution go into effect immediately. And it worked. And the town was alive again. Kids were safe and people didn't have to stock up on bottled water. The people of Marietta were so gracious. They could swim in the public pools again. They could bathe and shower. They could even drink straight out of the fountain or taps. 
The humanitarian crisis had been solved at the fraction of the cost by renovating the infrastructure of the town. Paradise was within our reach. Until... There, there was this homicide. You know, it's an extremely small town. Marietta is, you know, things like this don't happen here. It was big news, even with the event of a water crisis being solved. A man went berserk and butchered his wife and kids at a dinner table, and then he rushed police until he shot dead. It, it's, it's a coincidence. Nothing more. But the media labeled it a trend. They said it was a pandemic because there was a stabbing and a shooting and a woman ran over a fireman with her car. The sheer horror of it was all too much. I get it. But look, they drowned out what should have been a landmark event in the course of human history. They accused us, their saviors, of being the cause. It was madness. Absurd to suggest such a thing. But they wouldn't listen to reason. Though our purification chemicals succeeded in eradicating taints and lead poisoning, and a small percentage of the population created a similar effect, not unlike lead poisoning on the brain. You know, that phrase, mad as a hatter, it came from hat makers in Victoria times, going insane from the mercury fumes and making their hats. It's a side effect of progress. A quarter of the population, probably less, that's it. Small unforeseen losses when you look at the big picture... They still complimented me, you know. The politicians, the money men, how much we saved was such a smart solution. Even if I had found out about these side effects, I guarantee you they would have said yes. Now here I am, locked away in this room. I can't escape. The army's quarantined the whole town. We're all as good as dead. The sick and the clean, the sane and the insane, the innocent and the guilty. To be crystal clear, this was an accident. Tragic, yes, but think what could have been done from there what I could have done. Yet nobody in office will face punishment. No, just me, the scapegoat. The man who tried to save these people, and I'm damned for it. You can hear him outside, can't you? Those hateful spawn. Infected or not, they're going to kill me. If anyone finds us in the rubble, I just want my side heard. Tell them... Tell them I didn't deserve this. selling was too hard to swallow, wouldn't you say? Don't go crazy on me, cadavers. We have another story on the other side of this break. Sit, cadaver. Good. Roll over. Now beg for our next story. It's about the bond between a man and his dog. Just what lengths will an owner go to for puppy love? My experiment was never meant to end this way. I don't think anyone should end this way. That was my thought, anyway. My expertise is in nanotechnology. The development and use of microscopic machines to repair and even create new cellular tissue. With my latest findings, I sought to create a cure for any wound for any ailment. A true elixir of life. I was working in my lab that night, late as always. The tech was near ready, but not even close to being implemented on a living subject for testing. Too many variables. But then I heard it. Someone at my door. I assumed it was security. 
No, not security. It was the beginning of my nightmares. He smelled of alcohol, filth, and chemicals. I saw the gun at once. He said, scream and you die. I told him he could take whatever he wanted, just not to harm me or my experiments. I just assumed he was a junkie looking for a quick fix or something to steal to pay for his habit. But my experiment was what he was after. He told me his name was Ricky Tuttle and his dog, Peanut, had died. He heard about my work through the internet and wanted me to use my nanotech serum to revive it. It looked vile, twisted, like a truck had hit it, long dead. I told him it was too late. He had to let go. Ricky didn't take no for an answer. He slid the gun barrel into my mouth and asked, Want to see what your lab looks colored red? I had no choice. I was in terror. If my experiment did not work, he would execute me, I was sure. Shoot me dead right there in an impotent rage. Yet, I feared more what would happen if my experiment did work. We waited. Ricky stroked that gun like it was his pet, ready to sick it on me. That was it. My life's work flushed down the drain due to the insanity of this stranger. This man who I had never met before. I had sought to conquer death and it had struck back. I finished the procedure and stepped away from the dead dog. When's he going to wake up? Ricky asked, jutting the gun at me. I don't know, maybe never. Then you won't neither, Ricky said grimly. Ricky cocked the hammer of his pistol. I closed my eyes and prepared for death. The buzz and beeps of my machines were the only sounds in the room before... A sniff. And a scratch. Then a bark. I did it! My serum had worked even in the prototype stage. The nanomachines repaired its flesh and organs. Even the brain. I had saved two lives. Peanuts and my own. In his own awe, Ricky embraced his beloved pet. Tears of joy streaming down his face. My heart was almost warmed by the kidnapper looking so overjoyed. But then... Peanut growled at Ricky. Hey boy, what's the matter? Ricky asked and reached out to pet him. Peanut snapped at Ricky, nearly taking off his fingers. Peanut, you still sore about what I did? I was high as a kite. I wasn't myself. You know I'd never hurt you sober. Ricky went back in for another pet and Peanut sat back on his haunches. I closed my eyes. Peanut lunged at Ricky and clamped his jaws around his throat. Blood sprayed everywhere. Ricky put his gun under the dog's chin and blasted. Peanut was unharmed by the bullet. My regenerator serum still worked. Not only did it restore the memory of Ricky killing Peanut, but Peanut's wounds healed instantly now. Peanut would have his revenge. I had to get out, but at the same time I couldn't allow that creature to survive. I threw whatever I could at them within reach. Vials, containers, I didn't even read the labels. The combination of chemicals set them alight. Phosphorus, the smell, good lord, the horrible smell of their burning flesh. Ricky was dead by then. At least, I hope he was. Ricky's throat hung from between Peanut's jaws. Then I heard a noise that still haunts my dreams. It sounded like Peanut's growl combined with Ricky's voice. He was asking for help. Had my panicked mind imagined that awful noise, or 
Did my life-giving serum and peanut revive Ricky's removed vocal cords? I ran out the door and called the police at the nearest phone I could find. When I showed them what happened, my lab was destroyed. All my research and samples, gone. The only thing left was Ricky's charred skeleton. But no peanut. He was gone. My experiment, it seemed, was a success. But only now do I realize that it shouldn't have ended this way. It shouldn't have been brought back. Woof. I guess even man's best friend has his limits. Let's test your limits right after this break. Glad to see you're glued to your chair. Our next tale is all about what will and won't stick to a heartless lobbyist. This one is called Polarizing. The lobbying business is dirty, so it never surprises me when someone ends up dead. The circumstances, though, well... Name's Hank Derringer, but I know you're not here to hear about me. You're here about McMoss. Now, lobbying isn't as easy as you think. It takes a certain level of charisma, muscle, and money to get what you want from politicians. Be it loosening certain federal regulations or getting a meeting to start on time. Not for Max McMoss, though. The guy hadn't really been in the field long, but he got results better than most by the time they had their first heart attack. The man could make killer bees appealing to people covered in honey. He was a natural. Max had such a golden voice, everyone from big oil to big guns to big string hired him. Then, in the wake of that school shooting, you know the one, he doubles down, pushes for gun deregulation, and kills any reforms on background checks. On top of that, he goes on any news show that will have him and blames the victims. High school students, mind you. The man was good at his job, but there are some lines you don't cross. It reaches a boiling point. He walks out of an interview and BAM! This lady, mother of one of the victims, throws a handful of bullets at his face. Yells, I hope you get what you deserve, you bastard! She's hauled off and he's back on his way to the bar to get sauced with congressmen after meeting with congress. Next day, he shows up back on the hill, no worse for wear, except with a spoon stuck to his sleeve. We all assume it was just a goof, maybe a prank or some kind of fashion statement. Hell if we knew what was going through his head after that. But it just keeps going. Pens, paper clips, thumbtacks, pennies, you name it. It was on Max, covering his clothes even on his skin. He pulled a metal plate off his shirt and took a bunch of the fabric with it. He tried to take a coin off his hand and it takes the skin with it. Needless to say, he was in a very particular and peculiar jam. One that made it impossible for him to have a lunch meeting. This little condition of Max's makes something as simple as going back to his luxury condo more than a bit of a problem. The man had his own parade of garbage trailing behind him every step of the way out of the building. And that's when things got really crazy. 
He walks past a few cops, and their guns fly off their holsters and float after Max like there's invisible muggers trying to take him down. The man panics, and rightly so. It could have been the movement of him running down the stairs, or maybe it was a sign from above, but those guns went off. I'm still amazed he wasn't blown away the first time. The bullets miss, but immediately add to the shell growing all over him. He becomes a one-man war zone. Guns are flying off of nearby cops and soldiers and put Max in their sights, while he has half the magnetic trash in DC covering him like a shroud. He's running, he's screaming, he's pleading for help, but nobody does a thing. It might have been surprise, it might have been disbelief, or it was just that nobody cared all that much to help the guy, all things considered, and the situation. He's on his own. Eventually, he's stapled to the side of a speeding garbage truck. Even the cops don't know what to do. By the time anyone can think of something to say in the face of such a surreal situation, he was gone with that truck. The next day, the police find it. Must have weighed well over a ton. All that crap, steel, and guns, and bullets just molded together into a ball. You know, like those dung beetles on those nature shows do. I saw it on there once. No sign of Max. Poor bastard was crushed under all that garbage. Flattened like a pancake and shredded so bad he had to be put in a closed casket half his original size. But the damnedest thing of all was in his hand. Those bullets. The ones that grieving mother threw at him. Guess she was right. Max got what he deserved. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ouch. Guess those high-pressure jobs can really leave you flat. <laughs> Not to stress you out, cadavers, but it's time for our next break. Hallelujah, cadavers, you've survived. Onyx Tale tests the faith of a true believer in a story I call Savior. Name's Rebecca. Faith can make you do some crazy things. Crazy, wicked things. The Smiles of Heaven was deemed a cult. A scam. Dangerous. Perhaps it was true. But being on the run and on the road so long, if they took me with open arms, I took them with open arms. Laszlo Carlyle wanted to take us to heaven. The ideology was murky, I admit, but he had an aura about him. Magnetism. Charisma. 
He made it seem all so real and so sensible. We were all outcasts, really, so it made sense we'd follow him, even to do something as ghastly as this. Laszlo said this woman was a sinner, someone who needed to repent or be sacrificed. He'd go to that bar where she served drinks and not even order anything, just watching her night in, night out, for a whole week before he gave the order. We were to capture her and bring the woman to him personally. He followed her enough that he knew when she got off work and how she usually walked through the sanctuary woods. We listened. He was our savior. We tried to ambush her, but she must have spotted us in the moonlight. Her scream filled that empty forest like it was a falcon. It echoed so much, we almost thought there were more people there. We chased after her. We outnumbered her and could easily overpower her, but still, she was just out of reach, just out of our grip. I was close enough to touch her, but when I did, my fingers missed her. It was like reaching toward the moon. We chased her through those woods for what felt like an eternity. It was like one of those dreams where you're falling, but never hit the ground. We kept running forward, but never hit her. Just kept moving forward into nothing. Then, when I had to catch my breath, there she was. Perched behind a tree stump, she was beautiful. It made sense why Laszlo wanted her so bad. She was alluring. Red hair like blood, eyes blue and piercing. It made me want to chase after her more, but at the same time, I sympathized with her. So, I turned. When the others yelled to ask if I had seen her, I pretended I didn't. She ran away from me, from us, but she didn't get far. Someone else spotted her. The smiles of heaven were upon her, chasing that woman straight toward a lake in the center of Sanctuary Woods. Shimmering like silver with the light of the moon, she was trapped. Laszlo was upon her, holding his knife at the woman, telling her, Come with me and be saved. She looked scared. She looked cornered. Then, she smiled. She said in a voice that wasn't a voice. It was like a presence. You are damned. These tendril-like things slithered from the lake, huge like tree trunks, larger than any squid or octopus I saw on any nature documentary. In the dark, they were black as a starless night and strong enough to rip a man in half. They went after us, one by one, wrapping around people like pythons and then pulling them into the screams only ending when the water covered them. Laszlo got the worst of it, screaming for God to save him when I heard his spine snap and watched his body leave a trail of blood like a snail leaves slime. She turned to me, that woman. She said nothing, but said everything. That was her God. Her faith trumped ours. She was never going to be our sacrifice. We were hers. But she tried to bring me over as a fellow worshiper, a lover, a snack. I didn't want to find out. So I ran. I ran away again. I ran out of those woods and never stopped. I left that life behind me and tried to move on. I got rehabilitated, got a nice little job at that bar where that woman, if she even was a woman, worked. But every time I go near those woods, I can hear her in the wind. I can see those shapes in the lake. She wants a new convert. Well, I guess it's true what they say. One woman's profit is another woman's lunch. Chew that over during our next break.
full-on fear yet? Of course not, you insatiable cadavers. Our next fearsome fable follows a mare into the sewers of his own city. I call this one Feet Below. It was for a picture, nothing more. Just a simple picture to be put on the front pages to promote Mayor Larry Bench's re-election campaign. My name's Annette Ark. I was his aide, helping him with social media. We descended the ladder one by one into the city's sewer, Mayor Bench, a news team, and myself. So simple, right? It was called the New Clean Sewers Initiative. Renovations were made to existing infrastructure to better filter the water and make sure no raw sewage ended up exposed to the environment. It was passed to a massive bipartisan success. I believed in him. Finally, we could do some good for the city, and these glistening sewers were proof of that. It was almost serene, hearing the water run and the pipes churn, until we heard that noise. A groaning, a movement. I assumed it was just the filters. A large pressure of water passing by. The new architecture and all. The interview went on as normal. Elizabeth Horn was an up-and-coming reporter. She was going to go national and had just set up the shot. As she interviewed Mayor Bench, my eyes were drawn to the swishing water behind them again. Then there was a massive splash. And Elizabeth Horn was gone. We were stunned. I thought she somehow slipped and fell in the river of sewage behind her. Then, the river turned red with her blood and her arm floated to the surface. There was something in the water and we knew we had to get out of there. The cameraman, I never got his name, but he was the first to the ladder and the next to go. I got a better look this time, a mouth that could swallow a car, teeth as big as fists and scales the size of dinner plates. It was like a dinosaur, and it had itself another meal. By the time it was done, the cameraman's hands stayed attached to the rungs of the ladder, sands the rest of his body as whatever ate him returned to the waters. We just ran, ran in the opposite direction of that thing. We weren't thinking, just scrambling to find an exit like blind mice in a snake pit. Mayor Bench didn't say a word. No direction or leadership. No words of condolence or grief. It was only later that I realized he wasn't trying to take us both to freedom. He was simply trying to outrun me. At last, we found another escape route. It was all going to be okay. We were going to live. We would solve this. I saw something else. A Geiger counter. One of those little machines they used to count radiation in the area. What alarmed me beyond finding such an object out of the blue was that the monitor was off the charts. I asked Mayor Bench. I asked him, what is this? He told me to shut up. Said it wasn't supposed to make a difference. He ranted on and on about how they gave him a dump truck full of money to stay quiet while they stuffed our sewers with toxic waste. Then he shoved me back into the dark. He had made his confession and now attempted to silence the one person who knew the truth. The man I so idolized had thrown me away to be devoured, to save himself from his own creation. I thought for sure the creature would consume me. I readied myself for the pain of being pulled apart. 
then there was a crunch. But it wasn't my spine. I lifted my head off the ground and saw Mayor Bench frozen on his way towards the ladder, crushed eggs beneath his feet. They were long, wide eggs with a blue tint, like the kind I saw at the reptile wing of the zoo as a kid. It wasn't that much longer till we discovered what was hunting us. You heard those urban legends, right? Alligators in the sewers? Alligators have been found in sewers, but they can't live down there. Not without help. It was a monster. His monster. He begged me to help him, even after trying to use me as a distracting snack. Annette! For the love of God! A politician to the end. The alligator's jaws closed on him like a garbage compactor full of raw meat. I could hear him being devoured and the excess of his blood and bones and organs staining those new pristine walls. I managed to escape through the original manhole opened for the photo. After some hysterics, I convinced the cops and the fire department to come down. All we found was blood and hatched eggs. What's black, white, and red all over? Mayor Bench's photo in the newspaper. <laughs> For more side-splitting fun, stick around through our next break. Do you enjoy the dark arts, cadavers? Me too. Our next tale tells what happens when one dabbles in the dark arts and gets exactly what they want in a story I call Pure. It was messed up what happened. Messed up. I've been working at Isaac's Pizza for a while. My cousin hooked me up. Jewish, family run, kosher pizzeria makes it pretty popular in this community. Crappy hours, but tips were usually good. Could be dangerous though. Almost been mugged a couple times trying to deliver a pizza late at night. So I try to be careful. When we get a call to deliver a pizza as far out as the area lovingly named as Meth Mountain around midnight, I knew it was going to be a bad idea. But I needed the money, and they ordered a fat stack of pizzas. The place lived up to the Meth Mountain name. Broken windows, paint peeled clean off, vines covering half the house, and no car in the driveway. If someone hadn't given me the address over the phone, I would have been sure the place was completely abandoned. But there I was. I knock on the front door. It was rotting to the point I was afraid I'd get splinters in my knuckles. Nothing. Lights weren't on, so I thought they might not be home or it was the wrong address. Either way, if nobody answers soon, I'm out of there as fast as possible. Next thing I know, somebody smashes my face into the door and the lights go out. I come too, feeling like somebody took half a belt sander to my skull. Blood dripping down my face, splinters in my cheek, and, and an eye so swollen I can barely open it. I could feel the duct tape wrapped around my wrists and ankles, looped over the chair. I'm screwed. I saw all the signs, but all I could think of was the money. And there I was, tied up and thinking my entire life led up to me being killed in a pizza delivery gone wrong. 
what would it be? Kidnapping? Organ harvesting? (laughs) Making me wear a bomb and rob a bank? I look around. I'm in the basement of a place. A single light bulb illuminating me and the bastards who beat me up. These three guys are standing in front of me, smiling. That kind of smile that says, I'm happy because we're going to make you suffer. I notice the swastika and white power tattoos, and I know I'm royally screwed. Jewish pizza delivery boy hired by neo-Nazis to drop off the pizza to their house in the middle of nowhere? They're going to kill me. Or worse. Main guy, big dude, comes up to me and says, My name's Marcus, and we're your destiny. He's got this box covered in Nazi crap, swastikas, German, and all kinds of symbols. I have no idea what they mean. I'm done for. I think about my family and how they're going to find out about me on the news or something. He yells, declaring, You will not replace us, and opens the box. And a cloud of dust flies out everywhere. We're all coughing. I'm in such a violent fit, I can feel the duct tape loosen around my wrists. They stand around for a bit, waiting to see if something happened, staring at me as though they expected me to drop dead then and there. But nothing. Then they get mad at each other, throwing around words like purity, the relic, and weapon of their forefathers. But they leave, walking up the stairs like I'm an afterthought. Of course, I don't want to stick around to find out what they're talking about or what they think opening a Nazi box would do to me. So I rip off the loosened duct tape, wipe the blood off my face, pull out the splinters, and try to find a way out. I'm in a basement, and the only way out is up the stairs where those neo-Nazi guys are. I creep up those stairs just one step at a time, praying with every fiber of my being that it doesn't make a creak. Slowly I go up, little by little. I open up the door and nearly have a heart attack when the hinges creak. But nothing happens. Guess they didn't hear it. Thank God. I step into the hall. The whole place is rotting and filled with garbage, but I can see the front door at the end. I'm just about to sprint when I hear screaming. The most awful screaming you can imagine. I look inside the room to my right. There's a statue just laying down on the floor like it fell over in a museum or something. I barely even wonder what a marble statue is doing here like that, with my head still throbbing. But then I notice something. It's one of those guys from before. I don't know what it means. Maybe they're into some freaky art stuff. Maybe they're neo-Nazi artists. I mean, Hitler was an artist, right? But it's him. And it looks like when they made the statue, the dude was in pure agony. Those stone hands reaching out and his mouth hanging open. Tattoos still in his arms and neck like whoever made this thing wanted absolute accuracy. Then that guy Marcus comes out of the bathroom and he grabs me. He grabs me so hard because he feels so goddamn heavy. Half of him flesh and blood and the other half is marble. He screams at me, it should have been you. 
We were going to preserve our purity. I shoved him as hard as I can. Enough, it feels like my bones will break. But his breaks first, and his whole goddamn body. He hits the wall and literally goes into pieces. Pieces. Like a cookie hitting pavement. But there's no blood. It's like his insides were filled with concrete. But I swear, I could hear him cry out and rage at me a little longer after that. And it still haunts me. I run out of there and try to make it to the door. Last guy is just standing there, turned to stone. He's reaching out for the knob, but he can't reach it. And he never will. It was too late. But not for me, man. Not for me. I slam the door open and I run until I get some help. I hail down a car and the driver calls an ambulance. I spend the next couple days in the hospital thinking about a career outside of pizza delivery. Cops check the place out. Turns out it was a hangout for the gang of those neo-Nazi bastards. They stole something from a museum. Some antique from Nazi Germany. Some artifact labeled Führer an Reinheit, meaning for our purity. Guess they got it. They'll be pure forever. I've never seen people get so broken up over a pizza before. But don't fall to pieces just yet, cadavers. More stories are coming after this short break. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Why the long face? Too long of a break? Well, whatever you do, don't troll me in the comments section. In our next tale, Andrew learns what happens to those who troll in a story I call Troll Toll. The internet is a breeding ground for assholes. Some just managed to make it into a career. Andrew Hertz was at the top. In a strange way, it feeds my own. My name is Susan Alberta, and I write for the blog The Webwire. Andrew got his start like so many YouTube stars. He did pranks on the street slapping drinks out of people's hands, jumping at people around corners. Then he moved on to his favorite target, women. He'd make fun of women while they were waiting in line for movies, calling them names before running off. His signature move he called selfie bombing, taking selfies with random women who didn't give permission. Despite the controversy and complaints, he had a loyal legion of fans who loved to see his pranks and antics. Things reached ahead when one of the women he selfie bombed made a call-out post that went viral. Rachel Berger, a college student. She was just in the quad when Andrew selfie-bombed her and pushed her so hard she twisted an ankle. But 
that Andrew had an army of trolls and fans online and enough money he was able to bury the whole thing and smear her. Make an example of Rachel so no one else would dare defy him. She was harassed. Death threats. Rachel's personal info was leaked. And her life was basically ruined. She threw herself off the roof of her dorm. Andrew responded by posting a picture of himself laughing and making a joke at the headline, College Student Kills Self Over Internet Drama. There was backlash, of course, but nothing a few more tweets and gestures towards his fan base couldn't fix, after a hasty but ultimately hollow apology to the public. Then it started happening. Every time he took a selfie, there was this thing standing behind him. It was barely noticeable at first. In the corner, in the background. It could have easily been attributed as some sort of glitch or trick of light. It was a shape, like a human shadow or silhouette. Then, after several more tweets, we could see it. A woman. A ghostly woman, like you'd see in a horror movie, just before it screamed at the screen. In the wake of Rachel's suicide, the controversy was riled up again. But Andrew tweeted incessantly that he had nothing to do with it. It wasn't a prank. It wasn't a gag. There was an uproar, and Andrew wanted to clear the air. Or at least his PR team did. I was hesitant, but eventually my editor pushed me into taking him up on a video chat interview. The next day, we talked. I was in his office. Andrew was in his home. Andrew was definitely stressed. He looked horrible on the video chat and was visibly shaken. He was pale, and his eyes were hollow like he hadn't slept in days. Andrew said that he was clearly hacked, and it wasn't some kind of stunt. That he was just a good guy providing entertainment. He went on and on about how he wasn't to blame for what happened to Rachel, and you can just log off and avoid your problems online. I asked him how that would have helped when trolls got her home address. He got intensely agitated at that and went off on me. I couldn't get a word in edgewise. I tuned him out as he ranted, and that's when I saw something flash in the window behind Andrew. Something large dropped from the second floor. It looked like a body. I tried to interrupt, but that only made him talk louder. That's when the window opened from the outside. Whoever had dropped down was coming in. As Andrew spat at me through the screen, the figure crept in towards him. Closer and closer it crawled, bloody and broken. I, I was speechless, too frightened to warn him. It was that ghostly thing from his tweets and Facebook posts. It was directly behind him. I screamed, look behind you. At long last, he listened. Andrew screamed and screamed at the sight, a noise that was piercing even through the video chat. I'll never forget it. I assume he must have knocked over his monitor or hit a cable because after that, everything became garbled. I still couldn't get a good look at whatever that figure was that was now practically on top of him. I was so shocked. I wasn't able to move until the feed finally cut out. The last thing I saw was Andrew and the figure entangled in a mix of muffled, distorted screeching and gagging. I told myself it was another stunt, but I didn't want to take the chance. This might sound weird, but his fear at that moment seemed genuine. I called the cops and they went right over. Nobody was there though. Andrew and whatever attacked him was gone. All they were really able to find was his computer smashed and the place torn up. There was definitely a struggle though. Someone attacked him right as I watched, and he was gone. 
I was questioned, of course, and some of his fans thought I might have had something to do with it. I was cleared, thankfully, but the mystery remained. Then, a week later, it happened. Andrew's Twitter account posted one last tweet. A selfie. His final one. It was Rachel Berger. She looked exactly as she did just before she committed suicide. Bright, smiling, and full of life. But she had taken the selfie with Andrew's lifeless corpse. He had been gone only a week, but in the picture it looked like his skin was rotting right off his skeleton. And his mouth was stuck in a rictus scream. And like most things on social media, it was forever. Hashtag girls and corpses, am I right, cadavers? <laughs> hey, don't decompose. We've reached our last break for the evening, which means I have one more story to tell. Next up, we hear a tale about a hacker named Haxhex, who must deal with the unforeseen consequences of being an identity thief. I am who I am, and I have no regrets until now. I'll say that right out front because I don't know how much time I have. Things are vanishing quickly. I'm good with computers. I'm good with information. I practically grew up glued to a keyboard. Was it any wonder I used my skills to get whatever I wanted? I chose my name, Hacks Hacks, a joke from what a friend of mine said when I cheated during a game. My hacking skills were so good, it seemed like magic. Hacks Hacks. It was simple enough, find a target, look up their social media for clues, bits and pieces I could use to get through their insipid little passwords and take what was now rightfully mine. Do you know how many people still use the word password as a password? They were begging me to rob them blind. And in the end, isn't it all just a victimless crime? I do it online, nobody gets hurt, and I'm sure they'll be fine. Honestly, I don't care if they're living or dead. I drain the bank accounts of a fair share of dead seniors, victimless. Then, one morning, I wake up, same as usual. But when I try to get into my email, it's gone. Not that I forgot my password, not that I was hacked, even though that would have been impossible. My account is gone, like it never even existed. All of my information gone in a flash, and I couldn't even figure out why. I tried to investigate, but it got worse from there. It was gradual. That was the worst part. Like grains of sand slipping through my fingers. One after another, I lost more and more. More website accounts, social media accounts, even junk mail. They all ceased to be. I assumed it might have been some kind of worm virus, a, a government attack on me, so I tried my phone. More of the same. Apps were completely devoid of my data. Photos from every album I had on it just erased it from existence one after the next. I was freaking out. I must have pissed off the wrong guy or hacker group. This was sophisticated, coordinated, and efficient. With little choice, I had to get help. I needed another computer to access. My mom was in the kitchen. I could smell her cooking through the house. I asked, Mom, I need your computer. It's an emergency. But she didn't respond. 
It was like I was invisible, like she was doped up or something. I finally get her attention by pulling on her shoulder, rude but effective of course. She sees me. I ask if I can use her computer, but she acts slow with me, almost like she doesn't trust me. Her own son, treating me like a stranger in her own home. I ran straight back into my room. Things are missing. Clothes, sheets, posters. Like someone took stuff out of my room while I was busy with my mom. I felt like I was going mad. Something out of my eyesight was taking everything from me. Only fitting in retrospect. In my desperation, I make a blind plea to my friends. The only other friends I've ever known. Other hackers. I managed to make a fresh account really quick. I try to explain the situation, but none of them believe me. Nobody has heard of me. I created the forum we were all using. I felt like I was going mad. I... I looked in my hands, and the skin smoothed. No fingerprints, no identifying features. I lost teeth without even noticing. It was impossible. Whatever was happening online was hitting me in real life now, too. But then again, my entire life was online, so it barely made a difference. Eventually, my eyes and nose just seemed to vanish. No blood, no pain. Just my face and body continuing to lose its features, one body part at a time, smoothing over. I was terrified, but what else could I do? I could barely remember my password as I tried to access my banking account. I wanted to grab as much cash as possible and try to find someone who could help me, but when I looked at that form asking for my name, nothing came to me. Not a nickname, not a real name, nothing at all. My name is gone, stolen from me, along with everything else that made me, me. They say the brain retains memory and thought processing from having grooves. The smoother I get, the more I forget and lose. My face is gone. I'm nothing but a skeleton wrapped in smooth skin. No identifying features, but I'm losing more. I'll be gone soon. I'm hacks... What was the rest? I'm... 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 Ugh. Hacks, hacks. I never got to say goodbye. But alas, cadavers, I must bid you adieu. I hope you enjoyed our dead time stories about people who get their just desserts. And do come visit me again soon. We have many more short, scary stories to share. Sweet dreams, my little cadavers. <laughs> You've made it through the night. Congrats. Let's get going before that changes. The eight stories you've just heard were written by Jacob Davison, and you can find more thrilling stories from Graveyard Shift on Ranker.com, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and other connected TV apps. Tonight's production starred Todd Lights, Jacob Davison, Ari Eastman, Benjamin Apple, Nicole Valela, Kayla Jeffries, Todd Denson, with editing by Andrea Listenberger. I believe you can find your way home from here. Until next time. Farewell.